Welcome to the Healthy Perspective Podcast with your host, chiropractor, entrepreneur, mentor, and author, Dr. Chris Bowman. He'll break down and extract the secret sauce behind his own success and the success of some of the top leaders in every category and from around the world. Get ready for your weekly mental adjustment because shift is going to happen. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me on another episode of the Healthy Perspective podcast. Today, we have some high-octane, high-knowledge, high-relevance information that's going to be coming at you from Bill Flynn. He's a CEO and Chief Catalyst at Catalyst Growth Growth Advisors. Uh, Bill, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you very much for having me on, Dr. Woman. Looking forward to it. So I, I love the word catalyst, you know, and we talking about this just a little bit before, um, I think a problem in the world today is everybody expresses their opinion and forces everybody to do what they say they're supposed to do instead of, in a sense, being a bridge. Here's some information. Here's how, how you can use the information. Here's how you might be able to use it in your best interest. But it's, it's a, you, you're a, you're a, a, a catalyst, a, um, you're, you're making room for change. You're supplying energy for change. You're not necessarily forcing change upon other people. Um, why don't you just give us a little bit of backstory and history on, you know, kind of where you started? Did you have a bad experience with coaching or mentoring or something like that that kind of, you know, caused you to, to go along the road or, um, you know, let's let's hear from you. Yeah, sure. And I think your, your point is well made. And, and you probably see this all the time as a, as a chiropractor is, you know, you can't make someone do the things you want them to do. You have to, you know, you know, they, they need to do stretching. They need to take care of themselves. They need to come in, you know, for adjustments every now and again, just to stay realigned. Cause I'm, I'm a, I'm an old athlete. Um, and I see, I see a chiropractor two times a month, uh, who's actually one of my clients as well, which is kind of interesting. So I, I, I know a lot about the process and he's helped me tremendously, um, sort of understand what he does and how he does. He does a really great job. Um, so, uh, the, the word catalyst was definitely something I, I spent weeks, if not months trying to figure out what do I want to name my company? And I landed on that after, after that long research. But uh, so the reason I came to do what I was doing uh, was that I had a, an experience where I became a coach uh, and didn't really know what coaching was. Hmm. Uh, so I wasn't smart enough to know that I was actually coaching, but I've always been sort of Socratic in my, in my approach just in general as well. My daughter drives my daughter crazy and, Whatever. I'm, I'm always asking questions and, and uh, I'm, I'm more about the question than the answer because uh, I learned that um, I'm a bit of a neuroscience geek. So I learned that if you want to actually create change, change is an intrinsic thing. You can't, you can force change, but, you know, just because they're complying doesn't mean they're actually changing. And if you left the equation, my guess is they go right back to what they were doing. Uh, so if you want lasting change, uh, you have to know how to do it in a certain way. And um, and so what I learned, uh, in, in, and, and how I became a coach is I had a situation where I took over a business, uh, that I helped to set, have someone sell. The owner asked me to help them sell it. And then I actually took over when they left and it was an email hosting company in 2007, 2008. And, uh, when I took over, uh, the, the business itself imploded, mm-hmm. meaning the technical infrastructure that drew, that, that collected the information for, for email and then put out the email, you know, basically the infrastructure that allowed you to do email broke. And uh, for, for all intents and purposes, for two and a half days, no email was sent out. Certainly not at the, at the time it should have been sent out. 
Uh, and uh, we lost a thousand customers very quickly. And we, I went around for months saving the other customers and I had big partners I was trying to keep with us. And these were huge partners, billion dollar companies that were partners of us. And we were seven, eight, nine million dollars. We were tiny, you know, so we were like a speck of dust. Um, so uh, I said to my team, I said, look, uh, uh, this is my first day as a GM, never been a GM before. Uh, we're now we're now part of this larger company that bought us. And I don't know how to run a technical infrastructure. I've never done customer support before. I have no I have no background in finance. So I can't tell you what to do. So I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to tell you where I think we should go. And let's discuss, debate, and decide on that as a group. Uh, it's not necessary democracy, but you know, we'll certainly sure. do that. Sure. And then I said, then I need each of you to draw me the map from where we are today to where to where we get there, what your contribution is to us getting there. Um, and that worked phenomenally well. Uh, they drew their own maps. And I said, we're going to help each other every week. We're going to get together and we're just going to help each other on a regular basis until we get there. And uh, the business uh, doubled in size. Um, I left before it doubled in size, but it doubled in size about two years after we did that. Wow. Um, uh, I had 60 people at the business and uh, no one quit. It was 2008, so there wasn't a lot of places people could go. But, uh, you know, they certainly could have quit. They were getting yelled at on a regular basis. Um uh, and, uh, you know, we doubled, the, we, we increased the order size. We did all sorts of really cool things. Uh, so you can look at my LinkedIn profile and see all the wonderful stuff. But the best part was when I left, the day I left to go do another startup. So this was between startup five and six, and I did 10 startups over 25 years, um, is two of the managers, two of the leaders that I worked with who uh, weren't young, they were in their 30s or 40s, but they hadn't really managed or led people before, managed teams and that kind of stuff. They both said basically the same thing to me, which was, I just want you to know that the thing that you made me do that, that roadmap that I had to build from where we were, you know, where we were to where we want to go, said, I hated it. It was really, really hard, mm -hmm. but I'm so glad you made me do it because now I know how to do this, right? It's I, you know, it sort of taught them how to fish kind of thing. And I sort of tucked that away and I said, I want, I want to do more of that. And so after my 10th startup, of which four in a row were just disasters, you know, and none of them I think exist today. Uh, if they do, they're in, they're in pieces and parts and not valuable at all. Um, uh, I said, you know, do I want to do an 11 startup? And the answer was yes. But I was, I was struggling with how do I interview a CEO? Because I'm not a CEO. I'm a, I'm a COO. I come in and help scale the business. Uh, I'm not the idea person. I'm the operations person. And so you have to work with someone that you can work with and, and, and has, an, uh, has an okay vision and, and can sort of move the business forward. I was having a hard time. Uh, dealing with what's called founderitis, which is founderitis is basically you fall in love with your idea. You don't fall in love with the problem and the customer. And then you just try to sell your idea and you're completely tone deaf to people saying, I love your idea. I love your idea. It's a wonderful idea, but no one buys anything because, uh, you know, people are generally nice. Right. So what right. I did was, uh, you know, I said, but I had this idea and I went back to this thing. I said, I want to do more of that. How do I do that? Is there some thing? And I had signed up for a newsletter or two. And one of the, one of the people who ran, uh, ran a particular organization got back to me and I didn't just reached out to me out of the blue. And I said, Hey, I'm trying to do this. And they said, Oh, we have a coaching organization that goes along with the book I wrote or the books I wrote. And so I joined them about five, boy, almost six years ago. We did training and that kind of stuff. I'm no longer in that organization, but that's sort of how I got, became a coach. Gotcha. Um, it was because I had a really good experience and I wanted, I wanted to do that again. I wanted to have that feeling where I'm helping other companies. I can help five, four or five, six companies at a time now, instead of just one group mm -hmm. uh, and get that same thing. You know, thank you. And we're, we're such a better team now we we run things better. We bring on better customers. You know, we're happier. We don't have to spend all our day at work anymore. 
you know, doing that kind of stuff. So, so that's what I wanted. And, um, and I'm getting that. I love it. I know, I now know what a calling is. I knew what it was intellectually, but now I'm living it, which is really cool. I love that. You know, and, and my work here as a chiropractor too, it's, it's kind of all of that in one, just not focused on business, but, but people, like you said earlier, you can't make people change, but you show them, well, this is what your spine can feel like all the time. If you take these steps, you know, so here's where do you want to be? Here's where you're at. Here's the steps to go yeah. along the way. And, and I love people that have a vision and can help other people adopt a vision that they never saw. You know, I think that's the skill. Uh, is that, um, why don't you speak a little bit maybe to, to what is it like to develop a vision, especially for my, my um, coaching, I, I call myself a holistic small business strategist. For service professionals. And so I, I don't really work with, you know, big companies. I work with the, the, you know, mom that's doing hair three days a week and is super stressed out because she's booked all the way through and she doesn't have time for a kid, you know, like all of those sort of things where they don't think they can, they need an employee. They don't think, or they want to make more money, but they don't want to open up more hours. You know, um, what is it like to develop a vision for more than just like your business, but like a, like a, a movement or a, um, um, I don't know, these, these bigger companies that you're working with. Yeah. So um, visioning is, is imperative. So if you want to be a leader, so I'm going to, I'm going to digress a little bit. So we should talk about what, what is a leader. Um, and there are all these definitions. I've been to so many conferences and, and they're like, this is a leader. And they have all these characteristics. They say, oh, they're humble in there. They have initiative mm-hmm. and they have innovation and their charisma and whatever and integrity and blah, blah, blah. And I found out that that's just not true. Hmm. Uh, the only thing that leaders have in common are followers. And uh, lead, being a leader is not something you say I am. It's something that people adopt you for. Right. It is, it, leadership is, is extrinsic. People say, I will follow you. And this, guess what? You become a leader. Now, we can argue that people are good leaders and bad leaders and whatever. But if you create followers in some way, you're a leader. Um, so how do you create followers? And actually, we have supposedly the, the leadership industry is billions of dollars in size. My last number I heard was $15 billion of leadership wow. industry. And I actually think it's a farce because there's no one way to be a leader. There's no prescription of leadership, but there is a prescription of followership. We should study followers. Why do people follow other people? Good. And if you get, to, you get to really understand that, and one of the things that I think are important is what you just said, which is you must have a vision. You must have a compelling vision. Um, and you must be able to articulate it in such a way, and I think there's like a Simon Sinek or someone says this, is that you must describe it in such a way that it has already happened. Hmm. And you must vividly give the detail so people can see it, so they'll recognize it when you get there, right? And they know what we're working towards. And then guess what? If you give that to them, then that's going to spark lots of really cool things in, in them to say, well, here's how I can contribute to helping us do that. Um, now that I know what it is that we're doing, where we're going, um, then I can I can contribute. But most businesses are run from the from the rearview mirror, not from out the front window. I right? agree. We look backwards. We never we hardly ever look forward. And a vision is looking forward. And it can be years. It can be decades out. Right. I mean. There are lots of visions that are out there. The most famous one that, or the most used one, I think, is JFK, which is we're going to send a man to the moon and bring him back safely in a decade or less. That's his vision, right? That was Mm. their vision. Mm. Um, And 
that's a really great statement, right? Because it was very clear, right? Okay, we're going to send them off to the moon and come back and land safely on the earth, right? Uh, and most people say, oh, we'll send a man to the moon. It wasn't. It was send a man to the moon and return him safely to the earth. That was the vision. And then he said, in, you know, nine years later or, or so, eight or nine years later, we did it. Uh, we actually didn't know how to do it. The, the scientists were like, we have no idea how to do this. We don't even know. There are things we're going to have to invent, which we don't even know we need to, what they are yet in order to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. But that's what happens when you create this vision. People start to think, well, okay, if that's what we need to do, how would we do that? Right. And you give them, you give them sort of some lanes to work in. So it's hugely compelling to have a vision. Most leaders do not have a compelling vision that they wrote down. They have one and they just assume everyone else knows what it is. But most people have no idea. And by the way, even if they know what it is, if you're just saying it once in a while, they're not going to remember, remember it. I make all my leaders write down their vision. I actually, I, 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 they say, you can have a long-term vision, but I want you to write a three-year vision. I want you to say, this is what this company will look like in three years in great detail. It needs to be somewhere between three and five pages long. And I give them a book. I actually hand them a book and say, here's the book that shows you how to do it. It's a prescriptive book. It's called Vivid Vision by Cameron Herald. And I say, you have, well, you have three, three to four months to write this and share it with your team. Um, and every time a leader does that, the team is so excited. They're like, wow, this is so great. I, either they're energized, more energized, or they're like, wow, you know, I didn't really understand fully what we were trying to do. And now that I know, I'm so excited. Uh, so it's so important to write a vision. Um, so yes, I totally agree. Yeah, that's, that's so good. You know, something that I've kind of, just naturally done as, as a leader of, of my business. And maybe it's because I have like a visionary mind. I, I don't really like details. I don't really like focusing on the, on the little things. But when I, when I say to my staff, like, this is how many people we want to see. This is where I think the bottlenecks are going to be. Can you develop systems that are going to work for you? So that way we don't have this bottleneck, you know? And at first, like you mentioned earlier, when you talked about like, where do you want to go and where are you at now and create a plan to get there? I get some pushback for, for um, encouraging employees to be creative. Mm-hmm. Have you experienced, you know, similar things where like normally employees view themselves probably maybe as like drones. Like I come to work, I clock in, I do what, I, what I'm told and then I clock out. How have you able to been overcome that? Yeah. Well, most people feel like they're drones. There've been two or three studies. I think um, Gallup has done a study. Mayflower Group has done a study called employee engagement. There've been a bunch of others. And most people at work are not engaged. Uh, I just actually listened to Marcus Buckingham before we got on, um, who works for ADP Research Institute. And he said the numbers are now at 16 and 17%. So 16 to 17% of people are engaged at work. That means 80% of your people are not engaged at work. And some of them are actively disengaged, which means they're working against you Hmm. and the success of the company, which is just nuts. So, you know, why is that? And, and, and we're also seeing this in the great reduction or the resignation or the reallocation or whatever this thing is we're going through. It has six or seven different R's that go with it, right? right. Because people like realizing, wow, I don't need to go into the office and I hate commuting and I hate missing my kids' stuff or not taking care of myself or being able to take a walk or whatever um, or going to see my chiropractor in the middle of the day, right? I mean, of course, why shouldn't I be able to go see my chiropractor? You know, I'm in between meetings or whatever. I, you know, I have an hour. Great. I should right. be able to do it. Right. Take care of myself. And people are just sick of it. They're like, oh, they've, they've now. So the vision has happened. They've seen the future, which is I don't need to go to work. 
and they're not going to work. They're they're quitting their job or whatever. They're you know I mean so my, there are a bunch of things going on that are causing that. It's not just that, right? But I think that's a big factor in it. So, um, yeah, you have to create an environment where where people feel like they're contributing and you know they understand what we're doing, right? They want clarity and they want alignment. And so give them clarity with your vision and then give them alignment, which is you know, hey, we hired really smart people and we hired them. They're better at their jobs than we are. So let's give them the ability to do that. There was a study done by Cornell years ago where they took, I think it was 323 companies and they split them into two different groups. And over an N number of years, they had one do more command and control, you know, where they did this drone thing, right? You know, they, they told them what to do. They had all the rules and procedures and they made them follow it and they're checking on them all the time and correcting them on a regular basis. And then the other ones gave them autonomy. The autonomous group over that time frame performed at 400% greater in terms of metrics, right? Revenue, profit, cash, all those things. And they're happier. Yet we as leaders have a hard time because it's it's scary. You just let people do, you, I trust you, you know, just do your best. That's scary because I don't know what you're doing. And um, uh, so, so the other thing, which we, we didn't talk about that, that I think the only other thing that I think all leaders have in common is courage. Because you have to have courage to be a leader, if a really good leader. Because I think you need to you need to share your vision, which is scary, right? I'm actually going to tell people what I want to do, which means I'm I'm opening myself up to criticism, or or whatever. And you have to defend it. You have to you have to create autonomy, which is scary, you know. Because now I have to let people, you know, I have to trust people and not watch them on a regular basis and all that kind of stuff. So I think you have to have courage. Everything else is is subjective. You know, they say integrity. You know, Steve Jobs is considered one of the greatest leaders we've ever had, at least in the, in the modern age. The man had little to no integrity. He would, he would buy a car every six months so he can park in the handicapped spot. Uh, you know, I mean, he didn't have a lot of, he had things in his life that just weren't great, but he was so compelling in other ways that people said, oh, that's just Steve, right? You know, we had, um, you know, we had this thing when the Red Sox finally won here, it was just Manny being Manny. Mm-hmm. right because Manny Ramirez was this awesome hitter and he was I guess he wasn't the greatest teammate or whatever and they're like you know we'll forgive him because when he gets up at bat he's going to hit a home run every you know two out of four times or something so we're going to say that's Manny being Manny so that's that's what we do we forgive our leaders their faults because whatever it is about them is compelling enough for us to to follow them anyway and that's just the way it goes there are very few leaders who are perfect you know, even our founding fathers, they weren't perfect. Right. Many of them had slaves. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, that's so good. And I, I think maybe the last, um, maybe tidbit that, that we can talk about, I don't want to take a, a, too much of your time. I know you're a super busy man, but I think when you talk about being, being in a catalyst and, and really empowering employees to be creative, yeah. For you, I, I have in my mind, one of the most important, you know, one or two things that I look for when I'm hiring you, you know, coaching other people, hiring is super scary. Like, like you said, you have to have courage. You're, you're, you're in a sense, handing part of your baby over to someone trusting that they're going to do a good job. You know, what, what type of things do you look for or do you coach other people to look for when hiring? Oh God. So, so what I've learned, so I'm a neuroscience geek, as I said earlier. Um, and, uh, so what I've learned is the worst way to to hire anyone is through an interview. Mm. Because we have 150 or more unconscious biases that mm. completely infuse are completely infused in the interview process. If you like them and you judge them in seconds, yeah. 
If you like them, you'll have a different kind of interview than if you don't like them, which isn't fair because you just completely just judge them without even really talking to them. And you don't know you're doing it. That's the problem. They're conscious. Uh, so you're doing it without knowing it. So it feels like, oh, well, you know, and, and you'll come out and say, well, I didn't like them because of this and this. It's because in the first two or three seconds, you'd already judged them. And unless they did something wonderful and miraculous, they were not coming out of this. Um, because what you're doing is you're, you're, you're trying to hire for behavior and skill. And what I recommend always is behavior is super important. Values, right? Values are just words that say, this is how we act, right? And these are core values. These are immutable values. And you should hire for values first. Mm-hmm. And you should hire for a minimum level of competence, right? They at least need to know how to do this. These know how to type or whatever, whatever you have to figure out what those are. Cause you can teach them everything else. You can't teach them how to be honest. You can't teach them integrity. You can't teach them create creativity. They, their parents gave that to them either genetically or through, you know, through working with them in their early years and their friends, et cetera. They come with those relatively baked. Um, you know, like I say, people don't change that much. Don't try to change them. Try to make them the best version of themselves already. Cause it's hard enough. That's hard enough as it is. So, uh, so what I usually recommend is, is, you know, the best way to hire someone is to, is to find someone that you think thinks like you, et cetera, and has a minimum level and just hire them for 90 to 120 days and throw them into the fire and put them in situations as often as possible where you can see how they behave. Now that's expensive in terms of time and money. So we don't do it that way. But as I, I'd like to say is, okay, but if you make a mistake and you keep them for a year, how much does that cost you? And it actually costs much more than doing it the way I say it, but it's scary to do it the way I say it. Cause it seems like you're wasting time and energy because we only think about the beginning of the process, getting them on board and getting them in their seat and whatever. We don't think about, are they contributing and are they happy and they engage and they helping grow the company? We don't think about those things because our brain doesn't think that way. Our brain doesn't think out more than like a few days, right. you know, if not a few minutes. Right. So right. hire for hire for behavior. So yeah. anytime you can put them in a scenario where you can see how they behave, do that. Right. I love Pat Lencioni. He used to say, he do this all the time with Pat Lencioni is um, one of these um, gurus in our world. He's written a ton of books um, and uh, his most famous is um, five, dysfunctions of a team. That's sort of the most one. And he says he hires humble, hungry people, Mm. right? And so he hires for humility. What he does is he said, I would be the last one. I would, if we weren't sure if the person was humble, I would say, I'd interview them and I'd say, you know what? I'm really sorry. And he's this really crazy guy. You know what? I just found out I got to go get something and I got to run to the store. Will you come with me? And we'll do the interview on the way and whatever. And this is the interview. Right. He's trying to figure out they're humble. So and so he, he goes through a drugstore and he's like, I have this list of things to do. And he's like, has this made up list and he sees how they act. And if the person's like, you know, I'm super important. Yeah. yeah, what the uh-huh. um, Or if they're like, how can I help you? Like, hey, I'll go get the toothpaste, you know, and whatever. And 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 that's the interview. Yeah. He won't. And if they're the jerk, then he doesn't hire him. Yeah. That's now you know how they behave. Right. So, yeah. That's so good. Yeah. And that, that, I, that's the exact thoughts that I had. Like I, I hire for character first, you know, they have to be able to do some part of the skill that I need them to do, but character is what, what counts. Yeah. And, you know, this, this just popped in my head right now. I didn't have an ulterior motive answering the question or, or anything or, or anything like that. But um, how I did my interviews for my CAs, uh, uh, yeah, just my CAs is I have two that are working with me. And so I had one do almost like a working interview where it's like, they're like go through a script and see how they sound on the phone and those sort of things. The other one do some sort of technical 
skill, like, you know, like type this on the computer, you know, something like that. Yes, you, yeah. But then I would do at the end, I would do the character interview because that's obviously the, the thing that I'm counting about most. And I would ask them a question. Let's say you're at a grocery store, you check out and you're looking at your receipt or something like that when you get to the, your car and you realize they didn't charge you for something. What do you do? And that has caused like so many conversations of just like real. They're like, if it's a dollar, mm-hmm. honestly, like you know, I'll give them a dollar next time or, you know, like something like that. If it's like a big item, like I'm going back. But it's, it's so, it's been so crazy to me to see how people answer. Cause I've had some people where it's like, oh, it's their fault. They're, I'm not going to do it. And I'm like, nope, like that's not, you know, cause then you're going to feel the same way with my patients. You're going to feel the same way with us. But if they can tell, like they're actually thinking through the question, you know, like weighing yeah. the pros and cons, like being real, like this is a real life scenario. That, that question has been really helpful for me and it's so i don't know i feel like it's just such a dumb <laughs> a dumb question you know yeah I used, to, I used to do the same thing i i made up a completely weird interview and i hired much better after i did it because i i gave them questions that they weren't ready right, right. I, I i'm a sales vp so i hired yeah. sales people sales people are the best interviewers on the planet i bet they can read body language they're really good at it so yeah. i made up a completely weird interview that that they've never experienced before so they didn't have the answers ready made right. so at least i was right. getting off the top of their head yeah. Now, some could be thinking quickly and coming up because sure. so if it were me, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to give him the I know what he wants to hear from me. He wants to hear that I'm, you know, a right. generous person. I'd walk back in or yes. So I would give them twice as much next time or whatever, you know, right. even though I might not ever do that. No, uh, yeah. you don't really know how they're going to behave until they're in that situation sure. and you're watching them, you know. Yep. Yep. Uh, so anyway, yeah, so I, so yep. I agree that that's yeah. a, it's, it's, a, it's a better way to do it than most people do. it. Right. And saying, what are your strengths and weakness? What's your character? It's like, I have this. <laughs> Irrelevant. <laughs> um, Bill, thank you so much for joining. Um, I'm sure after people listening to this, they're going to want to know more about you. I understand that you've written a book. You have tons of resources on your website. If they're interested in working with you, I know you kind of work mainly local to your area, but with you know online stuff, I know maybe opens up some, some doors. How can people connect with you, find out more about you, um, yep. learn more from you? Sure. So I work with Worldwide company, work anywhere. Um, uh, some of those I do online. I have a, I have a company that's uh, from um, from Belarus all the way to California, okay. uh, and in between. Uh, so that there's plenty of there's plenty of that. Online is great. I can do pretty much anything online and offline the same. It's not quite the same. It's a, I think it's a better experience in person, but it's not that much work. Not in person. There's some really good tools out there. Uh, so. Uh, uh, so I do that. My book is called Further Faster. I'm actually, so I've, I've written my own book and then I'm also a contributor to another book. So I, I like to say I have two books, sure. um, sure. but I'm just, I just contribute one chapter to another. Uh, I do also write blog posts. Uh, you can go on my website, catalystgrowthadvisors.com and you can get all that stuff. You can actually download, download my book for free. It's called Further Faster, the vital few steps to take the guesswork out of growth. Um, or you can get it on Amazon or Audible and all those places. Uh, and you can reach me there. So that's, that's the best place to go, catalystgrowthadvisors.com. Awesome. Well, Bill, you've been a wealth of information. You've been super generous. I'm super thankful for you. Um, I can't wait for people to listen to the episode. Great. Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Perspective Podcast. To connect with Dr. Bowman, follow him on Instagram at Dr. Chris Bowman. Until next time, make shift happen.